With Hashem's help, we're learning Soita Daf Yud Beis. We left off on Daf Yud Aleph Amit Beis, three lines from the bottom. Being that we finished off yesterday learning about the mother and the daughter, <clears throat> and we identified Miriam as also being called Azuva and Ephros, we're now going to quote a Pasik from Divrei Hayamim. The Pasik is speaking about Miriam using the name Azuva. In that Pasik, we also see that Kalev was the husband of Miriam. And let's read inside. Ve'kolev ben Chetzrein, hoilid es azuva isha. Kolev ben Chetzrein gave birth to, that is the literal translation, to azuva, his wife, and to ve'es yiriois, and to yiriois, and ve'ele boneha, and these are her children, yesher, shoivov, and ardoin. And as we will see in a moment, that giving birth to does not mean biologically giving birth to. We're going to see that he is married to Azuva and to Yiriois. They both refer to her. And Ve'elo Boneha doesn't mean these are her children. That both Yeshad and Shevev and Ardoin refer either to Miriam or to Kalev. So begins the Gemara. Ben Chetzroin, how can we call Kalev? How can we say that Kalev is the son of Chetzroin? When Ben Yefuna who, right? Kalev Ben Yefuna. One of the 12 spies from the two kosher spies. Answers the Gemara, really his name Take is Chetzrin. Kalev ben Chetzrin. Why does the Pasik call him ben Yefuna? Ben Shepanam Atzas Meraglim. He was the one that turned away from the evil plan of the spies. And he and Yehoshua stayed loyal to God. I asks the Gemara, okay. So ben Yefuna is an attribute, a good one that he had. But the Akati, but still Ben Kenaz, who his father's name should be Kenaz, as it says in a Pasik, that Vayilkido Osniel Ben Kenaz Achi Kalev. This is again, we spoke about Osiel Ben Kenaz, we called him yesterday Ya'avetz, that he conquered a city. And the Torah uses the name Osniel, the son of Kenaz, and he was the brother of Kalev. So therefore, Kalev's father should also be Kenaz. Answers the Gemara, Amaravam. Kalev and Osniel, they were maternal brothers. Who was Kanaz? Kanaz was Osniel's father. Kanaz was Kalev's stepfather. Kalev was a stepson of Kanaz. And turning to Dafyud Beis, Daikonami, and we'll back this up by another Pasuk in Yoshua, where the Pasuk calls him Haknizi. The Pasuk concludes. So that is a proof that, no, it's Kalev ben Yefuna, the Knizi, Shmami Noah, that Knaz was his father. No, we don't call him Kalev ben Knaz, we call him Haknizi. Haknizi because he was adopted by Knaz. And from this, there's a very practical halacha. When we write a ksuba, we write the person's name, the chassan's name, ben the father. The kala's name, ben the father. What happens if a person is adopted? And there was a tshuva written by the Menchas Yitzchak regarding a woman, a young girl who was getting married, who was adopted. She did not even know that she's adopted. So they asked him if they can write the stepfather into the ksuba. He said, yeah, as we see over here, that we can call him Ben or Haknizi. But on the other hand, he wrote that whenever you write something in the ksuba, that is not exactly the way it seems to be, you have to write it in a little bit of an unusual way. So a learned reader of the Ksuba would realize something is off. 
like the Pasuk does over here. We say that Kalev ben Yefuna haknizi. Haknizi means he's the son of Kanaz, but on the other hand, it doesn't say ben Kanaz. And when you do some digging, you discover, like in this case, that Kanizi was his stepfather. Okay, right. Azuva. So when it says Kalev ben Chetzrin Hoylid es Azuva, says the Gemara Azuva Zumiriam. Azuva is one of the other names for Miriam. And And why is she called Azuva? The word Azuva means abandoned. The word Azuva means deserted. That everyone abandoned her. Everyone deserted her. As we'll see in a moment, that Miriam, when she was young, she was physically sick. And she was not attractive. And it went from bad to worse. There was a point in which she became a leper. Not the story of leprosy later in the Chumash when she spoke not positive about Moshe. Before, and Kalev, who married her, took care of her to the point that he made her into one of the most beautiful women, as we'll see in a moment. So she was an abandoned woman. I, the Pasuk says, he gave birth to her. If Azuva is Miriam, then it's not that he gave birth to her, he married her. That whoever marries a woman for the sake of heaven, as Rashi points out, in the third wide line on top of the Amid, what's the L'shem Shemayim, says Rashi, she was not there well. And what's the meaning of L'shem Shemayim? As it says in the sages, that when a person marries a wife, he should look at her brothers, because most of one's children will, be, will have the same character traits as the mother's brother or brothers. And who was Miriam's brothers? Aaron and Moshe. And he saw that they are tzaddikim. And that's why he married her. So back in the Gemara, whoever marries a woman, L'shem Shemayim, Mala, all of Akasav, Kilu, Yald, it's as if he gave birth to her. Vaited. Then it says that he married Azuva ve'es Yiriyos. So says the Gemara, Yiriyos is not another wife. It's the same wife. Yiriyos is another name for Miriam. Why? Her face was like curtains. In English, there's an expression, someone is white like a sheet. And Rashi interprets Yiriyos like a curtain. Right? The fourth line of Rashi. Right above the Gemara. There was no redness in her face, in her countenance. She was then physically not well. So she looked like a curtain. And these were her children, says the Gemara. Don't say these are her children. That Kalev built her up. And that's why Kalev is called Yesher. It's an attribute on the husband. Why was he called Yesher? Because he strengthened himself. In other words, he strengthened his godly soul. He married a wife simply for the sake of heaven. Shoivav, the word shoivav means he was disobedient. So how was he disobedient? Sheshivav, as Yitzray, he was disobedient to his Yetzir Hara. The Yetzir Hara was looking for a beautiful woman. And he completely disobeyed that desire. And Va'ardoin, why is he called Ardoin? Sherada as Yitzray, because he disciplined his animal soul. So there is the godly soul, right? And then on the other side, there's the Yetzir Hara, which is completely bad. And then you have the Nefesh Bahamas. So he strengthened his godly soul. He completely put down his Yetzir, and he disciplined his animal soul to look deeper and not to be stuck by the trappings 
And who was she? She was the most beautiful woman spiritually. And eventually she became so physically as well. And here we have the order in the Gemara of first is Kafya, and then is Habcha. First you have to completely suppress, you have to disobey your Yetzir Shashivev. And after you completely suppress one's lower side, then we have the ability to discipline it and to ultimately use it for the good. The many other people say that this word Ardain doesn't go to him, to the husband, but it goes to the wife. I'll show you Panel Doimen that eventually he made her look as beautiful as a rose. And this is appropriate to have this in Masech Tosait. Because it all goes back to the husband. So if a man thinks that his wife is not attractive, it's his fault. Because a husband, if he treats his wife the way Kalev treated his wife, she'll become the most beautiful woman in the world. Then the Gemara continues, Ula Ashur, Avi Takua, another Pasik and Divre Hayomim, that to Ashur, the father of Takua, he had two wives, and their names were Chela and Naaro. Says the Gemara here also, we are referring to the marriage of Kalev and Miriam. Ashur goes on Kalev. And why is he called Ashur? Because his face or his countenance became darkened because of the many fasts that he did praying to Hashem that he should not fall into the trappings of the spies. So he fasted successfully and he did not join their evil counsel. And then in gratitude to God, he invited fasted. So he fasted and he fasted until his face became dark, darkened. And why is he called Avi? Avi means Avi Shinas that he became to her like a father. In other words, he nurtured her back to life the way a father does to a daughter. And Tukoya, what does Tukoya mean? It also refers to Kalev, that he fastened his heart, he connected his heart to Hashem. And when it says, that Ashur, meaning Kalev had two wives, he did not have two wives. He had one wife, which was Miriam. But Miriam Miriam was as if she was two completely different women. Because first she was Chela, first she was very sick. And then she became as healthy and as beautiful as a nara, as a young maiden. In other words, loy It's not that there were two different people. Ella First, Miriam was sick, and because of the way he treated his wife, nara, she became a young maiden. And then the pasuk continues, and the sons of Chela was Tzeres, Tzoyhar, and Esnon. What does that mean? Again, this does not refer to her biological children. Tzedes refers to her. Shenas is That she became competition for her colleagues. In other words, she was an example of that the, the, the beauty of the woman is contingent on how her husband treats her. So when any other woman looked at her, she felt, oy gewalt, she's being treated better. Look at her, she looks so great. That her face looked like the... Uh, you know, the noon sun, she had a shining countenance. That's after she got well. And Esnan, and Esnan is a word in the Torah that is used when a man, God forbid, gives a gift to a Zaina, Esnan Zaina. Esnan means here a gift. Whenever someone looked at her, Taka, the person realized, look at how a good husband, how a husband who treats his wife with respect and with love, what that can affect her, that she even physically becomes beautiful. So it inspired all the other men to bring gifts to their wives. Okay, so now that we're going back now to the story of Moshe Rabbeinu, continuing from yesterday's death.
right, that Paroi commanded regarding all of his people. As the Pasuk continues that all of the boys that are born should be thrown into the Nile. So, that that there came a point where his evil decree of drowning infant babies, infant side, into the Nile River, wasn't only directed to the Bnei Yisrael, but it was directed towards all of the people, even to the Egyptians. As we learned yesterday, that there was a inducing, there was a, people were induced slowly, that the decrees of the Egyptians went from bad to worse. And There were three steps to this degree. Initially, the initial decree was to the midwives, like we learned yesterday, that the midwives were supposed to kill them right when they were born, the sons. And then when he saw that the midwives defied him, they feared God, so he upped the decree he said, that all of the sons that are born should be thrown into the Nile. And that initially was only to the Jewish boys, to the Bnei Yisrael. But at the end, he made this decree even against the Egyptians. And as we'll see more to it later, that he had stargazers and they saw that the, the fall of the Savior of the Jewish people will be in water. He ultimately was paranoid. He did not know whether the Savior will be a Jew or a non-Jew, a member of the household of Yaakov Avinu or from the Bnei Yisrael or not. So ultimately, he decided that all of the boys that are born should be drowned into the water, drowned into the Nile. And he felt that with this, he would preempt, he would prevent the Savior of the Jews to grow up and to do what he was destined to do. Then it says, that a man went from the house of Levi. This is in reference to Amram, to Moshe Rabbeinu's father. And the Torah says he went, asks the Gemara, where did he go? He didn't go, he married. He didn't go. That he went to follow his daughter's advice, his daughter Miriam. What was the advice of his daughter, Tani, we learned in Ebrei, that Amram, Godel, Hadoyer, Hoya. That Amram was the leading Jew of that generation and Kivan, either Shara'a, Sha'amar. Or in the Messiah Sasha's Shegazar, once Parai Harasha made a decree, or he said, Kol Habein Hayeloid, Hayo that all the sons that are born should God forbid be thrown into the Nile. Omar Amram said, Lashov Anu Amelim, are we working in vain? We're married, we're gonna have children for them to be killed? And as the Hasidis explains, that really the decree wasn't was all the sons should be thrown into the Nile. And when it says that all of the daughters should be let to live, it doesn't say it should be let alive. You should make them alive. Meaning that he wanted to assimilate the daughters. That they should be educated in public school. They should be educated like the, like the non-Jews. That was a double decree. But at least they will be alive. But the sons are going to be killed. So he says, why are we having married and having children? So So he stood up and he divorced his wife, Yechavet. Now, even though he never said for other people to do what he does, but that's just the way it works. People will not do what you say, people will do what you do. So if the great Gadol Hadar divorced his wife, is everyone divorced their wives. Came along Miriam, who was what, five years old, four years old, four years old. Omar Omar she was five years older than Moshe, but this happened, uh, the mother needed to get married and get pregnant with him. So she was just a couple of years old. So Amrulai Bitoi Miriam told her father, Abba, Kasha, Gizeira that your decree is worse 
than the decree of Pare. And as we just learned, Pare made three decrees. The first one was for the midwives to kill the sons. The second one was to drown the boys in the Nile. The third one was that all of the sons should be drowned in the Nile. So to these three, she pointed out in three ways, and all of those three, you're worse than Pare. Pare, you initially says Pare decreed that all of the boys should be killed by the midwives. And by you not being married to mom, by you somehow inspiring other husbands to divorce their wives, so there will be no children. Both on the boys and on the girls. No one will be born. Even though he ultimately decreed they should be drowned. So when a person, when a soul comes into this world, even if God forbid that baby dies right away, that neshama came into this world. And whatever it came here for, it accomplished. It passed away young. So even though it lived the day, or it lived a minute, and this even goes to a fetus, God forbid, if a woman has an abortion, that something was accomplished in the positive. That soul came into this world, and therefore this soul will have a portion in the world to come. So Parai, who only decreed for them to be drowned, but they're going to be conceived. So they will only lose this world, but they will not lose the next world. Opposite, but by you preventing women from getting pregnant, what will that cause? That will prevent children, more souls, they will not come into this world, nor will they come in to the next world. Now regarding the final step of his decree, what did he say? That all of the sons should be thrown into the Nile. Miriam understood, you know, a king can make a decree, even a dictator. There is a certain tipping point where people cannot take him and he's overthrown. Miriam said, such a decree, who even says the Egyptians will listen to? You think the whole country are going to allow that their sons that were just born are going to be drowned in the Nile? So it's a whole suffix now whether that decree would go into effect. Who knows whether this decree is going to be followed through. And suffix maybe ain't But ato tzadik. But you, Father, you're a tzadik. And and certainly what you decree will happen. As it says in a Pasik, which is very quoted, that the Sigzar Oimer, that you, meaning you at Sadik, you utter a decree, the Lach, and it will be done. Tzadik Gaizer, even Hakadish Barhumikaim. So you have a much bigger power than Paray. Oh. So when he heard the Musar from his daughter, Ahmad Vihiksar Sishtoi, he got up and he went in his daughter's advice and he remarried his wife. And when he did that, Amdukulan Virzirus Nashisayim. And when he did when he remarried his wife, that inspired all the other husbands to remarry their wives as well. Let's not forget that at that point there were Levium, there were no Kahanim. Only a Kain is someone that cannot remarry a divorcee, even if it's his divorcee. But everyone else, if a man divorces his wife, as long as she did not marry another man, she did not have a relation with another man, it's actually a mitzvah to be machzer girushasi. Then it says, Vayikach, and he took her. This word is normally used on a first marriage. Asks the Gemara, Vayachzer mi the Torah should have written, he remarried her. Amar Yehuda bar You know why the Torah says he married her? Because he made... A marriage, a ceremony, as people do when they get married for the first time. That he married her. Normally when people get married a second time, they don't make such a big to-do about it. But he made a big ceremony. Iparion is like a chena. It's like the svardim do that they sit, a kalen, a sedan, chair. 
and they make a whole Simchas Torah. And all of that was done when he remarried her. And the Aaron and Miriam, the Nakam Lefanel, and her, the children that they already had, Aaron and Miriam, they were dancing in front of the parents. Umalachi, Asharas Amru, and the angels came there. And they said the words that we say in Hallel, Aim, Habanim, Semecha, that mother over her children, because of her children, is filled with joy. And as the Gemara points out, that Aim, Aleph Mem, is Rashi Tevis, Aharain, and Miriam, that what brought her joy, her current children. Mikan, parenthetically, those people who have this, they think that when a person gets remarried that their children should not come to their wedding. Labdafke, um, even though this case is not a perfect source because he remarried the same wife. But nevertheless, you see that children come to the second marriage of a parent. Right. Then it says, as Bas Levi, he married the daughter of Levi. And we know that whenever we speak about a person without using their name, but speaking about their parent, that normally implies that they are very young, right? We spoke Ben Azai, Ben Zoima, their names were Shimon. Why doesn't the Mishnah quote their names? One opinion is because they were not even 40, they passed away young. She, Yochevet, she wasn't young at all. You know how old she was here? 130 years old. Behold, she was 130, and you call her the daughter of Levi? Um, how do we know that she was 130 years old? Because the Amr Abcham Abad Abchanino, that this refers to Yochevet, Shohairasa Bederech, Veludasa Benachaymas. That Yochevet got, was the parents, Levi, conceived Yochevet while they were already on the way to Egypt. And she was born as they were entering Egypt, as it says in the Pasik, that Levi had her in Egypt. And he had her, meaning she was born in Egypt. And that implies that she was only born in Egypt, but she was still conceived back there in Israel. And as the Rashi points out, that the Torah says that Yaakov descended into Egypt with 70 household members. The Torah only counts 63. And, and we include, the Torah counts, I'm sorry, 66. And we include Yosef, Menashe and Ephraim to 69. But the 70th is missing. And the answer is that when the count was happening, they were traveling. But she was not born yet. But as they are entering Mitzrayim, then she was born and she's number 70. Now think about it. We were in Egypt for 210 years. How old was Moshe when he took us out? 80. So take 80 off to 10. What do you have left? 130. That's the 130. She was 130 when she got remarried. And as Hasidus also points out, that for people to succeed in exile, you have to feel that you don't belong there. That's why Yochevet, which was the mother of the Savior of the Jewish people, she, her conception happened before they came. She comes from Israel. And even Borth, she wasn't born in it when they were settled. We, have to, we, we don't belong in Golos. We are in Golos to do what we need to do here, but we belong in our Holy Land. And says, so, uh, so the question is why she called Baslevi, answers the Gemara Amr Yehuda, Nados, that the miracle happened to her, and she had the physical characteristics of a Bas, of a young person. And that is that her flesh was tender, that she had no wrinkles, and she had the Oirach, in other words, she ovulated again and she was able to conceive. Really, the Mepharshim say this did not happen right now. Because how older was Miriam than Moshe? Five years. Aaron, three years. So for her to conceive Miriam, so they say that this happened to her when she was 124, 
When she was 124, she again became like a physical bus. Let's figure that out. Then she got pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Asks the Gemara, how can you say that after he remarried her? Then she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. When we're going to prove in a moment that she was already pregnant beforehand, when Amram remarried her, she must have already been three months pregnant. As will prove in a moment, Kashem answers the Gemara, the reason why the Torah says she got pregnant and she gave birth, it's to teach us that that when she gave birth to Maisha, giving birth to him was just like getting pregnant with him. Just like giving birth, I'm sorry, just like getting pregnant, the moment of conception is something that does not make the parents feel pain. When she gave birth, that she was one of those special women, as we're going to say in a moment, that was not included or not affected by the kvittel or by the decree that God made on Chava, that giving birth should be painful. There was no pain there. Here we know that, that holy, that, that, that righteous woman, that they are not affected by the pisco, means the kvittel, the verdict that Hashem gave to Chava and her descendants. Halavai, we can say the same thing can go for men, such a concept. That some people can escape, but we don't say that. Escape the pisco, Let's go weiter. Who? And it says that they saw that he was toiv. So Tanya Rameir says, what does it mean that he was good? Toiv Shemai, that the parents named Moshe Rabbeinu toiv. Rabbi Yehuda says, I'll tell you more. They named him Tuvia. Why is he saying Tuvia? Explains the Marsha. Because if you take the Pasuk, Vatera Oisoy, Ki Toiv Hu. What is the letter before toiv? Ki Toiv. Ki is Chaf, Yud. So there's a yud before the toiv. And then it says, ki toiv, hu, a hey. So there was a yud and a hey before and after his name. And in Zoyer we learn that when a person, today when people are sick, for example, at some times we add a name to a person. In the good old days, they didn't add names, they added letters. And the main letters that were added were either the letters yud or the letters hey. The letter yud should always be added in the beginning of a name, as was done to Yehoshua, he was before Hoshea. They added the Yud in the beginning. And a Yud empowers a person to be more effective spiritually. Or, and you add a hey, and a hey always should be added at the end of the name, as was done to Sarah, that from Sarai she went to Sarah, and a hey empowers that person to have more dominance over the physical world in a good way. And here he had both. And it was Toiv, Tuvia, Toiv with a Yud and a, and a, and a hey. That Nehemiah says that why was he called good? Because Hagen Hul that they already sense that he is going to be uh, appropriate, he's going to be fitting to become a prophet. And Achedim Oimrim, that you know what Toiv means? Noilet that he was born already circumcised. In other words, being circumcised is connected to the word Toiv, which is why the Cheskoni says that by Abris, what are one of the Psukim that everyone shouts together? Because we made a bris, now that this baby boy is circumcised, now it's toiv. Chachamim say that from when Moshe was born, the whole house was filled with a light. 
How do we know that? Because it says over here, they saw that he's good. And and it says in the creation, that Hashem saw a light, and as the Balaturim says, that the words, ah, amazing, look at the last letter of these words. Look at the Seifet Tevis and give it as a Misha round. Kedarkeinu is Rosh Seifet Tevis Bris. And she hid him for three months. Why? Because from when did they start counting? From when he remarried her. And they thought that she was not pregnant yet. That's all part of the question. So they counted from the marriage nine months. But really, she was already pregnant already three months beforehand. Because don't forget, she was married to him. In other words, she was pregnant. Amram probably did not even know that. He divorced her. Then he remarried her. And they counted nine months from the remarriage. But really, she was pregnant three months. That is why the mother had the ability to be those first three months with Moshe Rabbeinu. Now it says, That she was unable to hide him anymore. Ask the Gemara, why? Why couldn't she hide him longer? So says the Gemara, Whenever those evil Egyptians heard the Misyal Yenuka, whenever they found out that a baby was born to a Jewish family, Mamtu Yenuka Hasem, they brought an Egyptian child there. Why? They made the Egyptian baby cry. And the nature of babies are when one baby hears another baby crying, they join in the crying. So no matter where you hit the baby, they heard the baby crying. And why is it so that when baby A cries, baby B cries? Because babies are pure. And as we say, that words that leave the heart enter the heart. In other words, that when we want to affect someone else, Baruchnius, we have to allow our, the baby in us, the innocence in us to speak, and that's going to affect the other person, the listener. And that's the meaning of the Pasik in Shirashirim, that they, these evil Egyptians, they grabbed against us foxes, Shualim Katanim, little foxes. In other words, the Egyptians, when they were babies, they were already discovering, finding out where, the, where our babies are, and, got, and that led to their deaths. Okay, and then the mother, after she was unable to hide him, she took a wicker basket, asks the Gemara, why did she take a wicker basket? Wood would have been stronger. Wood would have been better. Amar Abelazar says that Abelazar, Mikan from here, we learn, when it comes to Tzadikim, these words literally are interpreted that for Tzadikim, their money is more beloved on them than their bodies. And as Hasidus explains, that one can view the whole Yiddishkeit in one of the two ways. Either we are here for us, we are here to rectify ourselves. What is my tikkun? How will I get my ganeden? It's all a selfish pursuit, God forbid. Or, as Hasidus teaches us, that we are primarily not even here for us. We are here to do something good in the world, to bring godliness in the world. And in what part of the world do I, do I have the responsibility to bring godliness into? to that part of the world that belongs to me. So when a tzaddik owns something, he understands that the kavana there, it's not that that thing is, is helping me. I have to use that for the good. So she had a wicker basket. She didn't own wood. So she has to bring godliness into the world by using whatever she owns in the service of God. I, if she would have used wood, it would have been better for Moshe. 
And many times you have to choose, is it better for me or better for the world? Tzadikim, Hasidim know that if you have to make that choice, choose what's better for the world. If she would have used wood, Moshe would have been more protected. But the wicker, the wicker wouldn't have fulfilled the wicker's purpose. And recall Kachlama, and why is it so? Because they never steal. In other words, being that they know that everything that they own belongs to them by divine providence, why is it that Hashem wanted her to have the wicker basket? See, if a person, God forbid, steals... They have possessions. Who says it was their possessions to rectify? But the moment people can honestly say, whatever I have is mine halachically, is mine properly, is mine ethically. Why is it mine? Why do you think God gives people wealth? For us to use it in service of God. So she used what she had to help Moshe. Rabbi Shmuel Barachmeni says that she used wicker. Wicker is dovarach. It's something soft. And something soft is even better than something hard. In other words, when we live our lives with this mindset that firstly we are here to better our environment and only afterwards are we going to be concerned about ourselves that actually even helps ourselves more. That something that's soft can withstand wicker both davarach kosher. Wicker, if wicker bangs into something soft, wicker can bounce off it. If wicker will bang into something hard because it's soft, it will not crack. It's only going to bend. So actually it even protected him more. And what did she do? That she coated that wicker basket with clay and with tar. So Tanami learned, She put clay in the inside and the tar was only put in the outside because tar has a very bad odor. For the tzaddik not to smell, a unpleasant smell. And she put in this wicker basket that was now uh, coated. She put the child vatasam basuf. What is the suf? Machloikas. Like always. Rabbalazar, Oymer, Yamsuf. Suf means the, the, the Yamsuf. The same sea that later split. That is where he was put into. Rafshmal Barachmeni Omar, turning to the Fiyud Beis, Umid Beis, Agam, that the word suf means a swamp, a marsh. And suf means reeds. Why is it called Yamsuf? Because in a marsh, you have reeds. As it says in the Pasik, that kane vasuf, that reeds and thin willows, is kamelu will wither. Just to show that in marshes, the word suf means withers. Now, what happened over there? That the daughter of Potter went to bathe on the Nile. On the Nile. You don't bathe on it, you bathe in it. On it means that she, she lifted herself above the Nile. In the name of Rabbi Shimon Yochaim, Elamit, that she was, she went there to go to the mikvah. In other words, the Egyptians served idols, and one of the main idols was the Nile, the economy, right? And her bathing on the Nile implies that she was washing off the tumah of Avodah And this is as it says in another pasuk: Hashem that Hashem washed off the excrement that accumulated on the daughters of Tzion, which are us. So washing implies, mikveh implies tshuva. And v'nari and her maidens were going, you should know that that going here means that they were going to their own deaths. And this is as it says, I am going to die. So they died. Why did her maidens die? Because it says like this, she saw the basket at inside either the Yamsof or inside the Agam and Kivan the Chazu the Moshe when the maiden saw that Miriam I'm sorry that she's actually pronounced Bisya what we'll call her Basya 
right, the daughter of Pari, that when she was about to save Moshe, Amrullah, they protested. And they told her, give her tenu, right, our uh, master, masteress. Our mistress, that the meaning of the world is that when you have a human king is making a decree, even when the world is not going to obey the king, at least at least the family members will obey that decree. And you are defying your father's decree. So what happened? came Malach and they struck them into the ground and they died. And then afterwards, Vatishlach es Amasa, that she sent forth her Amasa. What is her Amasa? We'll see in a moment. And Vatiko Cheha, and she took the basket. Says the Gemara again, Rabbi Yehud of Rab Nechemia. Chad Omar Amasa means Yoda. She extended, she sent forth her arm. Chad Omar Amasa means Shivchasa. Now, Manda Omar Yoda. Why? Because it says Amasa. And Amma means, why is the measurement of an Amma called an Amma? Because an ama is the length from the tip of the finger until the elbow. That, these, these are one of the biblical names for an arm, for a an hand. And you know why it's shivchasa? Because the common word for hand is yada. And the Torah didn't say that vatishlach es yada. It says vatishlach es amasa. So it must be her her maidservant. How can you say her maidservant was sent? I, we just said that Bogavriel, that Malach Gavriel, the Chavot and Bakarka killed all of her maidservants. Answers the Gemara. Yeah, he killed all of them aside of one. The Shire Lochador, he did not, he left one as Shiraim, he left one live. Why? Not because that one was that uh, meritus, because the lav, urcha, the bas malka, because it's not appropriate for a daughter of a king, to be by themselves. Really, that means by us and Golos, that we are the Bas Melech, the Jewish people. And even though it appears that God is not with us, God is hidden, we should remember that we are never by ourselves. Why didn't the Torah write the word Yada? Answers the Gemara, ah, that's the hint to some miracle that happened. That her hand extended. And where do we have that expression? The Amar Mar. When the, when the Gemara is speaking about the miracle that happened with Esther and Achashverosh, that she went to the king unannounced, and he indeed lifted up his scepter, but there the Torah says, and he touched her with her. So we learned over there that a miracle happened, that the scepter extended and it went all the way from the throne all the way to the entrance. And there they said, this is like, that this sort of miracle, that something which was short extended itself, is as we find here, that the hand of Parai extended itself. And the same thing we find, with the teeth of the wicked. As it says, that you, God Almighty, you broke the teeth of the wicked. And don't say that you broke it. You extended it. And as the Medrash tells us, that when he went out to attack the Jewish people, Simply, he was such a mighty giant, he saw that our encampment took up three parsi on three parsi. That's a space, parsi is four mil. Just know, one mil is around one kilometer. In other words, one parsa is four kilometers. So three parsa is around 12 by 12 kilometers. So he picked up a mountain, he, was so, he picked up a mountain that the bottom of the mountain at its circumference was three parsa by three parsa. And he was going to put the mountain, God forbid, on top of the whole encampment of the Jewish people. 
but he picked it up on top of his head. So Hashem made a miracle that the mountain got filled with ants. And as the ants came out in the mountain, so he was unable to grasp it because it crumbed. So it fell on top of his head. And his head went into the mountain and he wanted to lift up the mountain. But his teeth came out and his teeth protruded into the mountain. And he was unable to take the mountain off his head. And that is when Moshe Rabbeinu, who was already 10 Amos tall, who was a giver at 120, who jumped 10 Amos, whose staff was another 10 Amos. So the tip of the staff was 30 Amos in the air, in the air and he knocked the ankle of Oik, and Oik fell. And then he was beheaded. Uh, then it says, She opened up the basket, then she saw who, right? She saw him as Hayela, the child. It doesn't say she saw the child. who as Hayela, that's Mamash extra. Asks the Gemara, let her just say that she saw him. Vatira, or who? What's who? And again, as Hayela, Omer Rabbi Yosi, she saw two things. who? She saw him, she saw the Shechina, and she saw the child. And then it says, that the Na'ar was crying, asks the Gemara, there are different words for young people. Yeled implies someone very young. Na'ar, like a Nara, means someone maybe a bit younger than us, but it means uh, older than a Yeled. So Yeled is the youngest, then Nara is older. So asks the Gemara, one second, make up your mind. You start off the story calling him a Yeled, and now you call him a Na'ar is crying. So answers the Gemara, Tana, who Yeled? He was Taka Yeled. He was only three months old. However, but his voice was Kinar. These are the words of Rabbi Yehudam. And as we have the story, that in the 67 war, when the, few sold, the first few soldiers that came to the Kaisal, they all bursted out crying. And one of them was at that point not observant at all. So his colleagues asked him, why are you crying? What does this mean to you? So he says, I'm crying. He says, 2,000 years of Gullus is crying. You know, Moshe was crying. The voice of all of the children that were murdered in the Nile were crying through him. So the voice was stronger. That's the words of Rabbi Yehuda. Says Rabbi Nehemiah, one second. Are you telling me that Moshe Rabbeinu, a three-month-old baby, had a voice already thick like a nar? You're making him into a person who is considered blemished. And, you know, even a levy, Levium, like Kahanim, cannot have any blemishes to serve. Now, really, Moshe Rabbeinu later became a Kfad Kfad Lashen. But that was a whole other part of the master plan. Amongst other things, that it should become clear that Moshe Rabbeinu's effectiveness wasn't because he was this great orator. He, well, he, he stuttered. He didn't speak clearly. It's all God speaking through him. But nevertheless, at least born, he was born wholesome. And you're telling me that he had a blemish? So Elam Alamed, it means something else. That his mother was afraid that she will not see him getting married because she thought that he might die. So she made a chupa and she put a chupa in this wicker basket. And she said, I might not see him standing under the chupa. I want to see him now under the chupa. And you have to be careful what you say. Because what, 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 what did history turn out? That the mother was taken out by the chupa. Where did he get married? Who did he marry? The daughter of Yisrael. Where did he get married? In Midian. She was not there. If to speak positively. And she had, in other words, Basya, Bisya had mercy on him. And she said, that he is a Ivri baby. He's a Jewish baby. Asks the Gemara, how did she know that? That she saw him circumcised. 
Now, don't forget that we read in the Chumash itself that during the years of famine, Yosef HaTzadik got everyone to circumcise themselves. But that, uh, evidently, that didn't last for that long. Or, as we learned together, that the Goyim, or even the, in the beginning, by the mitzvah of Brismillah that Hashem gave to Avraham, it was Milah without Priya. So there was some unique way of making a Brismillah that only B'nai Avraham had. Why does the Torah say the word Zeh? Could have said who? That she said, she uttered words of prophecy without being aware that these words are from God. This is the last Jew that was thrown into the river. Right after this incident, as we'll see in a moment, Padre revoked his decree. And behind it, Amr Rabbi Elazar. My why? What's the meaning of the pasuk when the, where we are being again and again discouraged of following the culture of the nations amongst whom we live? And there was a lot of idle practice in the land of Israel. And and if they will come and try to entice us by telling us that why don't you seek out the way we do? And Yudoinim, these are certain idle practices that are connected to death. Very much like today's Halloween, that they used to take different bones of the dead and they used to put it in their mouths or in other areas in their body. And somehow the person that was practicing this dark art was able to speak out or to channel the words of the dead. That don't, if they're going to tell you, why don't you seek out to them? And they are mitzafzafim. And they are a mahagim. Mitzafzafim and mahagim are two expressions that are used when birds chirp. Now, there's a bird called a crane bird. It's a very large bird. So a crane bird chirps. And the chirp of that bird is called mitzafzafim. And a dove that uh, makes sounds is called mahagim. So they're chirpers. Chirping. They're speaking. They're speaking. They don't even know what they're speaking. Like birds talking, they don't know what they're talking. So these dark arts do give the person a certain limited amount of ability to say words that are somehow foretelling some of the future. But if a person is connected to anything other than godliness, then even when they tap into some type of future knowledge, it's never wholesome. It's never complete. They have part information. And you should know part information is worse than any. Better not to know anything. So if him, that those idol worshippers, they saw, but they chirp, but they don't know what they're chirping. They're mahagim. They vocalize, make vocalized sounds. And what does that refer to? That they, Parai, was very much into astrology. And the astrologers saw that the savior of the Jewish people will be stricken. He'll have his downfall with water. And therefore they thought, let's drown all the kids. And Kivan the Shalomisha in the moment they threw Maisha when when Yochevet put Maisha in the Suf. So they that sign, that celestial sign, went away. Why did it go away? Because at that moment he was taka stricken in water. There was a danger. Amru Sulay Khazin, and we don't see this sign. Kehusimana. And the moment Parai heard that that sign in the heavens is no longer there, is Batu Ligzeir Tayu. He nullified his decree. And as we spoke out on Ahmed Aleph, that at the end when he decreed that even the Goyim should be drowned, Parai himself knew that this decree might lead to a revolt. So he was happy when he heard, ah, he thought, I succeeded. So they chirp, but they don't know what they're chirping. But they didn't know that the whole downfall with the water has nothing to do with the Nile. That Moshe Rabbeinu's downfall was 120 years later. At the second time, 
when whatever happened over there in the story of the Meimeriva, the waters of strife, that Moshe and Aaron, let's learn this simple pshat, instead of speaking to the stone the second time, they hit the stone twice, Sha'al Meimeriva, who like him, that was his downfall. And Vahainu Domino Rabchanino, my dechsiv, why does it say in Pashas Chukas when the Torah records that? Incident, Hema, May Mediva, those are the waters of strife, Asheravu, that the Bnei Yisrael contended God with. Hema, they, that, those are the waters, Shero, and, and, and it's Tagnine, Paroi, those were the waters that the stargazers of Paroi saw, Vito, and they made the mistake. And furthermore, behind the Kamar Moshe, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, this is in the story of when they'd eaten. And Pashas Bishalach by the Slav. So they were demanding meat. And Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem that Sheish Meis Elof Ragli Ha'am, that there are 600,000 men, and Va'ata Marta Batan Basar Etimahem, and I should provide meat for them. But why did he call them 600,000 of my feet? Why were they his feet? So Amalah Moshe Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu was telling the Jewish people, You're mine. You should be grateful to me because it's only because of me. That nitzaltem kulchem, you were all saved because of me. When I was thrown into the Nile, it was only from then on that the decree went away. Ask Stoisvis a million dollar question. He's telling them that you were saved because of me. Yeah? Were they saved because of... Why did he make the decree? Because of Moshe. So they should have told him, we, we were in trouble because of you. So Stoisvis says, that's what we learned in Ramad Aleph. That the decree to throw in the water came later. The initial decree that to, the, to the midwives to kill all the sons has nothing to do with Moshe Rabbeinu's being thrown into the water. And that decree would have been standing. The only reason why Pari took away that decree was because he made a worse decree. So Moshe Rabbeinu indeed saved him. That you should know that the day in which Yochevet put Moshe in the Suf, that was the 21st day of Nisan. And let's go according to the Manda Omer we had in the end of Amad Aleph, that he was put in the Yamsuf. And Omru Malachi Baruch And the ministering angels tells Hashem, that the one who in the future is going to sing out to you the Shira Sayam on the 21st day of Nisan, on Shri Shal Pesach, should be stricken in this day. That day was the sixth day of Sivan. And the angels, the same thing, the one that's going to receive the Torah on this day, really the Torah wasn't on this day on the sixth. The Torah was given on Shabbos, the Torah was given on the 52nd day. But the Shavuos is connected to Matan Torah. Says the Gemara, one second. According to the version that he was thrown into the sixth day of Sivan, then Mishkachas Lagimul Yarchi, it makes sense that he was three months old. And the Torah says, And why does it make sense? Because since we have a tradition, the Amar Mar, Bishiva Ba'adur Mace, he passed away on the seventh of Adar, and we know that Moshe Rabbeinu lived full years, meaning that he was born on the seventh day of Adar. So count from the seventh of Adar, three months is the sixth of Sivan. Perfect. Right from the seventh of other, so you have Nisan and you have Ir and you have Sivan. You have Tlasiyarchi. But if according to the version that says that that he was put into the Nile on the twenty-first of Nisan, answers the Gemara. That that year was a leap year. How can that be a leap year? A good kasha for that. What do we need to make a leap year? 
not just the knowledge of astrology, of astronomy. We have to have a Beisdin. And a Chodesh HaZelochem, but be that as it may, we're saying that it was a leap year. And therefore, he was born on the seventh of Adarishan. So you have the majority of the first other. Then you have the whole other Shani. And then when it comes to Nisan, again, you have the majority of Nisan, three weeks of Adarishan, three weeks in Nisan, the 21st of Nisan. That's the three months. And as we have a concept that Megalgalin, Megalgalin, Zchus, Liyoim Zakai. And by the way, you should know that this is something that has to be addressed. There was a Pasuk in the Torah, going back to idol worship, where the Torah says, Loise Oineinu. And the simple meaning of Loise Oineinu, and that's the way we Paskin is, don't do things according to its times. Don't say, this is a good day to do it, this is a bad day to do it. It's a lav midoiraisa. And on the other hand, we know that there are many times that when we do things, we say, ah, megalgalun zchus liyem zakai. That you put him in denial on the 21st of Nisan because it's a good day for a miracle to happen. So how is this reconciled? This is a very important topic to discuss at another time. And the sister of Moshe told to the daughter of Paritabisya to Basya, Ha'eleich. Should I go? And should I call for you? A woman, a nursemaid from the Ivriyos. So says the Gemara, Why did she even suggest? I mean, we know why she suggested, but how did she get away with that? Nalamid, it comes to teach you, that first Basia got all, she was the daughter, she was the princess. She got all of the Egyptian maidservants to try to feed nurse Maisha Rabbeinu. In those days, there was no formula. That means if you don't have a wet nurse, the baby can die, God forbid. But but he did not nurse, he did not suckle. Omar, either he said, or on the side we have Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that that the mouth that's going to speak with the Shechina, Yinak, Dover, Tomei, should suckle something Tomei, says Rashi, it's not the person that's the Dover Tomei. It says Rashi, it's Mamash on the side, that Zusha Achilasa Dvarim Tameim, should she nurse from a person who ate non-kosher foods, and Vahatinuk Toyim Bechel Bechel and the baby that nurses, right? When the mother makes a Lachayim, the baby makes a Lachayim. So how can Maishu Rabbeinu eat non-kosher food? And Vahayinu Dechsiv, and that's the meaning of the Pasuk, is Mi which means that with whom shall one teach knowledge? And to whom should one explain a message? Only to someone who was weaned off the milk, and someone who was removed from the breasts. In other words, here we have the concept that only someone that going to Moshe Rabbeinu, to whom did God choose to give the Torah to, he was given the opportunity to eat non-kosher food, right? To nurse from a non-Jewish woman. And he removed himself. He did not drink that milk. And that's why we have the concept called Chelev Metame. And just to finish that, there's a beautiful Toysavis at the end of Mesech Zavayi Dezorah that Toysavis brings a Medrash, that Chalev can make a person Tame, but Chalev can make a person Tahar. And, and the, the Medrash speaks about Antoninus. That in the days of Rebbe, the Roman general that was in charge of overseeing the whole, uh, he represented Roman Israel, was Antoninus, who lived in Tiberia. Rebbe lived in Tiberia. And ultimately Antoninus converted and he became a Yid. And he learned Torah. And why did that happen, says the Medrash, that when the, both of their mothers were pregnant with them, Rebbe, with Rebbe's, and Antoninus' mother with Antoninus, the Romans made then the terrible decrees, you can't make a circumcision. 
and the parents would get killed for that, and Rebbe's parents obviously gave him a bris mil. And then the Roman police came to inspect. So Rebbe's mother told Antoninus's mother, let's change babies for a moment. So when the police come and check my baby, they'll see that he's not circumcised because she had Antoninus. And during that time, Antoninus got hungry, and Rebbe's mother fed him milk. That is why later he became a Jew. So on one hand, non-kosher food, Cholavakim is metamtem hamoyach v'halev. On the other hand, when we eat kosher, this tremendously elevates us. Let's hop another line over here. Says the Gemara, and so the daughter of Pari tells Miriam, go. That, that she went, you know, she says, lechi, um, she went as quick, the Torah uses the words, that the maiden went. What does that mean? That means that means that even though we learned that Miriam was sick, that was the whole beginning of today's daf. Kalev made her better, and here she was very young; she was sickly. But when she ran to get her mother to nurse Maisha, she was as strong as a healthy young person. Rabbi says that her alma means she concealed her words. She didn't notify the daughter of Pari that she's calling Maisha Rabbeinu's own mother. And then the daughter of Pari tells you, Take this child. That Yochevet had no prophecy. But she didn't even know what she's saying. This baby is yours. And not only that, and I'm going to pay you for it. That not only do tzaddikim get what they lost, they get paid for it. And just let's finish with this, that it's midah keneged midah. That since we learned yesterday in Daf Yudalaf Ahmed Beis, that not only did Yochevet not listen to Pari to kill the Jewish children, but it says, that she went out of the way to make them healthy, to bring them food. Not only was Moshe Rabbeinu not taken from her, but she was given schar to nurse her own child, Gavaldik, Yemir Tzashem, to be continued.